Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 14 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. I'm Kareem Ferris, CEO and co-founder of the Modern Classrooms Project. I am incredibly excited for today's episode. This one's unique for not just all the listeners, but for me myself. We have two special guests all the way from Australia, two educators who have learned our model, have been implementing, and are going to share their journey with us. I am so incredibly excited to hear their story, to hear their experience, kind of traversing the challenges of it. I'm really, really excited for this. So before I do any introductions, I'd rather them just introduce themselves. So first, we have Jennifer Griffiths. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks for joining us. And we have Louise Taylor. Hi. Hello. Hello. So before we get started, we have to know more about your background. Our listeners are going to want to hear everything about you. So if you all could give the full rundown, how you got into education, where you teach, what you teach, and all that wonderful stuff. Okay, so I uh, am in uh, my 16th year of teaching secondary high school in English. And I started teaching when I was in my late 20s so I I sort of did other things beforehand but um, teaching is way more awesome than anything else that I've done so I'm glad I made that decision and uh, I've taught in a lot of country schools here in um, Western Australia but also in Victoria as well and I have taught in a lot of uh, low socioeconomic schools And now I am the head of English at a brand new school in Perth. Um, It's an inner city school. We only have one year level so far because we've only just started this year. So we just have year sevens and they're 12 and 13 year olds. And um, yeah, I'm absolutely loving this year. It's been a really unique year and not just because of the whole 2020 thing, but besides that, it's actually been a really unique um, year for me in education as well. Fantastic. And Louise? Um, so I'm Louise and I've been teaching for three years now. So I'm a bit newer to the profession, but um, I've just been teaching in schools kind of in Perth City area in Western Australia. And now, again, this is my first year here at um, this new school that's just opened up this year. And yeah, it's just been really exciting. It's been a really fun year. Perfect. And and you all know each other because you teach on the same team um, or do team teach. How, how do you all know each other aside from working at the same school? Um, yes, yeah, so we we both teach English. So Jen is um, my head of department, and so we we um, we're the, basically the English department at our school. So um, there's just the two of us plus one extra teacher who takes another English class. So we um, keep our classroom doors open, and so we are team teaching at all times together with around sixty students in the classroom. Oh wow! You actually keep your classroom doors open, so there's sixty kids that kind of flow in and out and you all both kind of are collectively responsible for their learning. Is the, did I describe that correctly? Well, yes, uh, yes, it, it does work like that. Although we are, um, I guess, directly responsible for only half of the kids each, if you know what I mean. So we have an actual class, but we, we have decided uh, between ourselves that we will always have the walls that are in between our rooms open and, and that we will spend time together in that, in the room with all the kids and the two of us. Yeah, it's that kind of idea of like English being really transparent, that one teacher is not doing something totally different with the same year group. Um, and I think the students kind of see us both as their teacher in a way. So we, while we do have our, our students that we are responsible for, we kind of migrate from one side of the classroom to another and the students just see us both as their teacher. 
I absolutely love that. And that's a perfect example of sort of how the model is so malleable and kind of breaks down the barriers of traditional practices of teaching. You know, I always said my classroom when I did the model, I had an open door policy. Kids from any class period at any time could just come in. And as long as you're not going to disrupt the larger learning environment, what's the issue? You pick up where you left off, you start learning. doesn't matter what adults are in the room. You're in control of that experience. So to hear that you all actually like have that as part of your structure, where you're literally in two rooms and not separated and, and the students actually treat you as kind of collective teachers is so cool to hear and to think about. I love that. I, I kind of want to hear a little bit about your all's journey into getting acquainted with the Modern Classrooms Project. Like what drew you to first even exploring new instructional models? Like what was the impetus of that? Why did you start looking for new and innovative ways to teach? Well, I just really wanted to talk to the kids more individually, one-on-one. I, I wanted to be able to mark their work with them while they sat next to me because I think that the ability to give that you know, feedback to them as you're reading it or as you're looking at what they've created and that just is going to help them move forward so much faster than me writing a comment and giving it back to them, you know, a week later or two weeks later or whatever. So I had this first idea that I just wanted to do that more and I tried to work out myself how this would happen, how I could make this happen. And we, at at the beginning of the year, because our year starts um, at the end of January, so at the beginning of the year, we um, tried to do this. We Our first attempts, um, when I think back of them now, they're kind of quite quaint and cute. <laughs> um, but we, um, we literally ha- just had a list of tasks written on the whiteboard and said to the kids, okay, so just move through those tasks and, you know, you know where you're at and just keep going. And we, we had materials for them um, loaded up on their, you know, on our shared um, platform and they all have computers so they, they just sort of worked through that and we we were able to have the conversations with them and you know if there's anything to be thankful for COVID for it was that you know at the like eight weeks into that experience I had to suddenly start thinking about replicating what we were doing in the classroom online and so I was doing what I've called panic COVID googling and found um Actually, what all I was looking for was like what to actually put right on the lesson, like physically, like what words needed, did the kids need to know? How did I break down the task into really small parts so that they could easily understand it? Because I know they have such difficulty reading complex instructions and how was I going to break this down? That's what I was looking for. I came across your materials and actually I just went straight to that, you know, examples that you've got and how you've laid it out. And I was like, great, that's what I want. I'm just going to copy that. And I made that. And then I actually thought, no, hang on, there's, some, there's other stuff here. I'm going to go back and look look what this other stuff was. And I realised that what you were doing is basically what I, what I was had started sort of trying to do. So it really kind of shot us forward massively in, in our journey by finding, you know, all the stuff that you guys have created. That's fantastic. I mean, one of the things we talk about often is sort of how COVID has accelerated innovation in some ways. I mean, it's sort of like it's, it's forced educators at times to think and access new resources and materials, particularly in how to leverage technology. And I think it has exposed a lot of folks to new instructional models that they find out are actually useful pre or post COVID, which is an exciting next step. We have been in the classroom with the kids since 
just after Easter. Oh, wow. So, you know, I never had to use it in an online way. And so that has been absolutely glorious for us because we've actually been able to implement the model the way that you um, created it. Yeah, I'm glad you said it that way too, because sometimes people during this moment think that we're like a remote learning instructional model, and that's just not what we are at all. And you hit the nail on the head, which I think is so interesting. And you say it so succinctly, and I know both of you all have said this because I've listened to your LS podcast, that you just want to talk to the kids more. I often talk about this when I think about the tug and pull of sort of using a traditional format of instruction when teaching. It makes it really difficult to support students' unique needs both academically, but non-academically. And for me, that was the biggest reason I wanted to talk to my kids is because I knew they were experiencing challenges well beyond the scope of the content. And I was tired of just saying, oh, do this work, do this work, sit down, do this work. Like I wanted to be able to go up to a kid and say, are you all right today? And not feel like that was somehow disruptive to the larger experience. So that idea of talking to kids more as the primary reason to implement a model like this is profoundly important. And I think is the primary goal of ours is to empower teachers to just work with their kids more and that's that it's that simple yeah and I think so I was so I've been um, out of university only a few years ago and I think in university they talk a lot about how to manage behavior and how to how to manage a classroom and kind of strategies of what you need to do but like I found that um, by actually implementing this model and being able to have more conversations with students, especially as they walk in. So instead of just having them walk in and giving them an instruction, it was really nice having them walk in and they already know what they're supposed to be doing because it's a continuation of their own individual progress. So we're able to go and have conversations just about how they're feeling that day and whether certain people just need something and we can actually find that out. And we've been asking, rather than asking questions of like, um, you know, or just saying like, get on with your work or go and do that. We're actually able to say, what's going on with you today? Like, um, is there anything that you need? And we're able to actually have, have the time to have those conversations with them, which are really powerful. And it means that all the students actually can, uh, all their needs can be addressed really well. Yeah, you say it beautifully. And, and ultimately, I mean, that's why we're teachers, right? It's the most enjoyable part of teaching is just getting to know the kids, understanding what makes them excited, understanding what doesn't make them excited, and then catering to their needs. Traditional formats just don't do that. You know, when I when I first started teaching and I used the traditional model, like I was startled at how ineffective I was at doing just that. Right? Why couldn't I use a model like that? Or why wasn't I talking to kids enough? Or why was it hard to build relationships? And I realized it was because there was something fundamentally broken about traditional practices. So I think that's exciting. I do want to know how you all got it started. Because I mean, I think there's one thing, which is, you know, Jen, you finding the website and watching maybe the video and starting to explore the resources, but obviously taking the info to practice is, you know, a big leap. So can you share a little, both of you just share a little bit about what it was like to take, you know, our online course and our resources and actually convert it into execution. And what did that journey look like and how long did it take? Well, I think I feel like um, if we fast forward to maybe um, two or three weeks ago it was probably the first time that we really felt like everything. We understood what we were doing in a really detailed way and everything sort of came together for us. So it has been quite a few months of um working to I guess work out how to make this model work the best for us but actually that hasn't probably been the experience of the kids if I think about what the kids experience has been it's been um, that they've just kind of adapted really quickly 
into it and probably the, the reason it's taken it so long is that we've had to let go of a lot of stuff. It's been really hard to let go. So it was only three weeks ago where we had the conversation where we realised that even though we had this idea that we didn't want to have the lecture in our classroom, we were still... Um, when students were lining up outside our classroom, we were still asking them to all be quiet and listen to all the instructions. And then we'd ask them to go in and then we'd still, we'd ask them to all stop and then listen to the instructions again before we even got to the self-paced stuff. And we just suddenly realised, hang on, why are we still doing this? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a big change for us. Uh, so it has taken quite a long time. But in terms of, if I think back to when we came back to school after Easter, we, uh, I mean, I think we, it was felt a little bit like, you know, just jumping off the cliff a little bit. Like we just thought, well, let's just do it. Let's just see what this is like and and let's try it. And we we did spend a little bit of time working with the kids to try and help them um, navigate what we were asking them to do. So we had a unit zero where we got them to work through. I think we did some really clumsy thing where I presented the, the unit zero live to the class, which is, you know, when I think about it now, I think that's bizarre. But anyway, um, you know, we sort of moved towards creating this um, for the kids, to, for them to understand what we wanted them to to be doing. But actually, I think the thing we did best was we just kind of, in the nicest possible way, refused to help them. Like we, we just said to them, we really want you to take ownership of this. We really want you to figure out the problems that you're having yourself or with someone that's near you before you come and, and talk to us. So we, we sort of pushed them, you know, in a supportive and safe way, but but really did say, look, you know, this is on you now. And we made that really clear to them really early. And that was really uncomfortable for them and also for us because as teachers we want to we want them to get the answers and sometimes it's easier just to tell them but I think it's so much better for them to figure it out um, and just to learn as they're going. You know it's so interesting because you all started out by saying that it took you know what sounds like months to get accustomed fully to the model but it wasn't actually the kids that struggled all that much or in the beginning they do and you had to reinforce that right take control of your own learning, ask each other questions. We're not necessarily the people you should be going to first. I often equate it to the workplace, right? Like you don't go straight to your boss when you have a question. You go to your colleagues first, hoping that some of them have, ma have mastered the thing that you're having questions about. Now, if it reaches a point where you truly need real support and no one's available to help you, now it might be the time to go to your boss. But what's more interesting is that you all are actually struggling to release control. Right. Like and, and you all were the ones that were almost more anxious to dive into the model than the kids were. Can you speak to why that was like, why was it difficult for you all to release? What was holding you back for those initial months? I think it's an external expectation of what our job looks like. I can distinctly remember coming into the office after a lesson with Louise and saying to her, are we even teaching? What are we even doing? What? I feel so weird having walked out of that classroom and I haven't said anything to the whole group. How do I know what anyone has even done? How do I know where anybody's at? And just feeling totally lost by that. And I think that was because, I, I, I mean, I really feel like I've had a massive mind shift around what happens in the classroom because what happens in the classroom is not my experience. That's not in, what's important what my experience is, the important part is the kids' experience. So what are they learning instead of what am I covering? Because that's the way I used to look at it. Like I'm going to go into class and I'm going to cover 
this this concept and this concept and and I'm going to get the kids to do this task and this task and then the lesson will be finished and I'll be done and I can go on tomorrow to something else. Instead, they are in control of this thing that I am not fully aware of except that I've created it for them. But I'm not, you know, fully, I don't know what they're doing every moment, um, although I have a good idea of where everybody's at. I have a much better idea of where everybody's at now. Somehow not knowing exactly what they're doing every moment allows me to know much more about them. I don't know how that works. It's like some kind of weird magic that, that, but the the idea that it's not about me, I think, is the thing. And I think that as teachers, naturally, probably we're pretty keen to be the centre of attention in a lot of ways. And uh, it's hard to let go of that. You know, it's interesting you say that because I often chalk it up to sort of a little bit of a culture of convenience that we've created in education, where it's sort of the convenient and logical thing to do to say, everyone sit down and I will tell you a lesson. And the educator can then leave that scenario saying, well, I did teaching, right? I, I shared that information with everyone. That's what I'm supposed to do. And that's not really what we're trying to uncover here. Instead of measuring whether we taught, we should be measuring whether kids learned, right? And I think the ultimate challenge there is realizing that those old and traditional methods of teaching are more about saying that we taught than measuring whether students are learning. And I think when you kind of talk about that magic of feeling like I suddenly know where every kid's at, I used to talk about this all the time. Like you can name any kid in my class and I'll tell you exactly what lesson they're on and what they've struggled in the unit. I could have never done that before. But I think that's because so much mental energy is wasted on putting on that performance. It's exhausting. It takes up a ton of mental energy to kind of keep track of what's going on, make sure students are paying attention, all that kind of good stuff. And now you suddenly have all that mental energy freed up to actually work with kids one-on-one in small groups. I think that's the that, that's the most powerful piece. And it was one of the best ways for me to know that my practice had shifted when I could look back and say, I think I know exactly where every kid is at and what general supports they need. And I thought that was exciting. Now, can you all talk a little bit about how you knew it clicked? Because you said that at some point, right, even just a few weeks ago, it's like you hit your groove. Uh, you went from sort of feeling like, Am I teaching? Am I not teaching? Is this right? Is this controlled chaos? What am I missing? Something made you all feel like suddenly you had hit your stride and it was right. What what was that? Was it just a natural shift? Were there some things that you actually realized that were happening in the classroom that made you feel that way? I think um, it was probably one of the best things about team teaching in the same room together is that we get to have these conversations in the middle of the lesson. So I, I think it was... We, we actually had to train each other to look at the class differently. Instead of scanning for misbehaviour, whatever that is, we had to teach ourselves to scan for the good behaviour, the on-task behaviour, the learning behaviour, and to see that differently. Um, so learning behaviour doesn't look like sitting at the desk still with a pen in your hand you know, how, how my previous, I wanted my previous classes to look like I really wanted them, all the kids to be doing exactly the same thing at exactly the same time. And, you know, I, that, that, that meant that everything was happening properly. But I think training ourselves to look at the class objectively and see that, okay, there might be, you know, two kids that are doing something that's not strictly what they should be, or isn't actually helping them move forward no, look at the rest of the class. What is the rest of the class doing? And they're doing all kinds of things and all of it is learning sorts of things. So I think 
we just had to tell ourselves that story enough times that we could um, start to sort of do that naturally. And feeling a bit more comfortable with that as well, because you know, everyone is ready to learn at exactly the same time on exactly the same thing. So if there, you know, if there are a couple of students who are not doing exactly um, what we would like them to be doing, I think we're able to have that conversation with them and realize that maybe, maybe they just actually need just a small break before they actually can get on with it. Um, And just feeling comfortable about that and feeling like, you know, we are actually doing our job here. But also behavior that I previously would have been like, get back to your seat, sit down. What are you doing? I, I now, you know, go and say what's going on here. And they give me these beautiful, like, I'm just having a chat about this, this thing, or I'm just asking for something. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, of course you are, because you're, you know, a fully operating human and you can like, you can control what's going on here and you're on task and this is all good. Go about your business. Thanks very much. We realise how amazing this is when we're in the classroom and one of us walks over to the other person and says, I just had this amazing conversation with this particular student and they told me this and and we're just so amazed by how cool these conversations are. I think that's a real turning point for us. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because... When you think about sort of misbehavior in the traditional setting, it's so much about order and control that it almost doesn't even provide the space for kids to even articulate what they're feeling or thinking. Because what you just described there is a student might not be working on the specific task at hand. And in a traditional setting, you might say, you know, get back to work or go sit over there. or What are you doing? And then in this setting, you go talk to them and realize, oh, you're just a regular person who needs to take a deep breath or a break, which I think is so fascinating how we have been conditioned as educators for years to be so restrictive with student behavior. It's also why so many students grow to not like school and education because of how restrictive it is. It's almost like we're not just controlling what they learn oftentimes, but we're even controlling how they learn when it doesn't even make sense for them. And that's ultimately going to rub students the wrong way. And I think that that's a profound observation you all have recognized. I think it's hugely important. Well, this idea of engagement is, you know, really where where I started. Uh, you know, this thing happens when kids come into um, our high school, which starts at year seven, which is 12 and 13 year olds, and they are interested in school. They're excited to be there. They want to know about their teachers. Um, and then they you know, start to move through developmental stages that make other things suddenly more important. And because school hasn't lived up to what they, you know, were hoping it was going to be, we sort of, well, I always felt like even against my best intentions, I created them into people that didn't really like learning. And I just really wanted to stop that from happening. I, I wanted them to continue to be interested in learning and interested in my subject but also in just being at school and you know it just kills me when I see kids that are being turned off from from that experience in an unthinking way you know just just because that's the way it's always done I guess yeah no that's spot on I mean I realized this because I had spent my career as an educator at the high school level. So I was teaching 9th, 10th, and 11th and 12th graders. And there's an element, I think, too, of when you get older, that you get a little bit jaded. And like you said, you have different priorities. So I just took it as the status quo that, you know, there's a lot of resistance to learning in school buildings. And then I got to watch my first modern classroom at the kindergarten level. And I, I remember leaving the classroom and these kids are, you know, tiny humans. And I remember texting our now head of teaching and learning Kate Gass and I said, Kate, first of all, 
little kids can be the best self-directed learners I've ever seen in my life. There's nothing that stops them from driving their own learning. But I said, second of all, they love to learn too. And I realized how jarring that was to me because when I saw the kids at that young of an age, nothing had stopped them from thinking learning was cool. They were still the drivers of it. They were excited to learn new number facts. They were excited to learn new words. And then I go back to like an 11th and 12th grade classroom and, and it feels like we've taken that out of them, right? It isn't just that because you get older, you're less curious. That's obviously not true. I consider myself a very curious person. But something about the way that we've been teaching them has caused them to think that that curiosity and that ability to explore is no longer as much of an option. And that's disappointing. So I'm glad you all see this because I think that's ultimately the goal, right? To create curious, engaged, self-directed learners. And y'all are seeing it, which is thrilling. I think it's so fun. Now, I want to talk a little bit because you all have very different experience in education, but you all are both learning this model at the same time. So I want to hear about, you know, have there been differences in each of your individual journeys as you do this alongside each other? So Luis, like, tell me a little bit about, you know, you haven't been teaching for that long. Um, was there any unique challenges to you sort of rethinking education, given the fact that you hadn't been in the classroom for that many years? Um, yes, I think it was quite difficult to begin with when because Jen was the one that discovered all of this. And she said to me, we're going to create instructional videos and we're not going to stand at the front of the classroom anymore. And I was and my first reaction was like, oh, my gosh, how is this going to work? And it was actually quite a scary process to go through. And I couldn't actually imagine it. But I think that I, I was in a better position because I had only been teaching for a couple of years. And I think I always I didn't I didn't know what else was possible. And I did feel a little bit uncomfortable from those traditional ways that I was teaching before because I knew that it didn't work for everyone. But I didn't know what to do or how to, to do it better because I, I, I had never seen anyone teach um, in this way. So I was still really open minded and really, really glad that, um, that Jen talked to me about it when she did. So um, I did find it was a little bit more of an easier transition because of that. But um, Jen actually created all of the materials for the first um, two terms that we were teaching like that. And so I I kind of just went along with it because I didn't know what it was going to look like. So she created all like the units and the lessons and put it all up there. And so while I had a general idea of what was going on, I didn't necessarily know what the students were learning each lesson. So I, you know, I, I knew that they were maybe learning about poetry or something. And, and I knew I looked through the lessons, but um, not experiencing a classroom where you haven't actually created the materials is very different. Um, but I still felt like I was able to help each individual student and feel like I was still a teacher who was, you know, just as in control as Jen was. It was really cool. And then this last term, um, I created the the units and that was a major shift for me because I was, I was really excited. I created a drama unit where they made some costumes and set designs. And I actually, I realized that one of the most enjoyable things about teaching actually is the planning process. So I had so much fun creating this this thing that then unfolded in front of me. And it was interesting seeing that swap between then Jen being the person who didn't necessarily know what was going on the whole time and me watching my creations be unfolded and the kids really enjoying it. It was it was really, really fun. That's incredibly cool. And I love the way y'all are structuring it and the way y'all are supporting each other. And it is interesting, Luis, when you, when you talk about this idea of like, partially because of your, the, the fact that you hadn't had that many years in the classroom, it was almost easier to change your mindset about it. We see this with kids too, right? When you get the oldest students in the school buildings, a lot of times they're the most used to traditional formats. They're the hardest 
to kind of shift to a new model. People often think, well, the seniors or the 12th graders or the, the ones that are closest to college are the most ready for it. And I would say sort of in that they're older kids and maybe are used to independent time in their life, but they're the most used to traditional formats of teaching and will often push back the most when you introduce something new. And it's kind of a similar thing with educators, right? If you've been doing something for years and you're used to it, and especially if you like it, making that shift is a lot harder than if you've only been teaching for a few years and you're saying, okay, there were clearly issues with that. Let's make a shift. Now for Jen, like talk to me about, you know, having been an educator for a number of years, obviously been, been at it. And certainly, I'm sure achieved plenty of success while doing so. What was it like to make such a radical shift to your practice, you know, many years into your career? Well, it was just incredibly exciting. My whole teaching career has sort of been trying to push to improve and innovate teaching and learning. And I really, because I always felt even, you know, when I first started teaching that, that, this wasn't enough. It wasn't working, um, you know, as well as I wanted to. And so I always, you know, initially you take that on yourself and you're like, well, I'll just be a better teacher and I'll just learn all this, you know, this other stuff and I'll become better at content and I'll get better at, you know, working with kids and, and I'll get better and better and better at that. And I sort of got to the point where I thought that I had done you know, I had achieved things in our system that, you know, labels me as a, you know, a really effective exemplary teacher. And I was kind of like, but I still feel like there's something wrong here. There's something not wrong, but there's just something else. There's something, there's more I can do. So that's why I applied to come to this school because it's, it's set up to be an innovative school, like really open to um, trying new things and, and taking risks and, being agile around education and having the opportunity to work in different ways. And there's many ways that we do that at this school, but it also allowed us the freedom to just go and try something else. So, you know, I, I wasn't, um, nobody was telling me that I had to do this. I, I did it. So then, you know, then it's exciting for me. Yeah. I, I guess I'd, I'm not very frightened of, um, you know, trying new things and seeing how they go. That's sort of, the character of my my profession my professional experience yeah but I think you also speak to something that a lot of folks express certainly in the states as educators which is a feeling of stagnation sometimes after they've been at it for a fair amount of years and and you know mastered the traditional craft right I know how to plan a lesson I know how to lead a whole group lecture I know how to you know create tests and assess kids um you know you start to reach a point where you're like this isn't as good as I think it could be but I don't actually know what to do next Right. And, and I think that's an interesting kind of juncture in a lot of educators careers and oftentimes leads to educators actually leaving the profession. Right. And we're going into education leadership, um, becoming a principal, you know, going into ed research. But, you know, what I think is really inspiring about your story is is the idea that you don't actually have to do that. Um, there's a lot of creative and exciting things you can do in the classroom that make it fun and interesting. And there's always room to improve. And I, I think you're kind of appetite for innovation is inspiring. It keeps me excited and inspired um, to know that that's how educators are treating the profession. I think it's awesome. So I want to address two more things before we close out today. First, I want you all to share a little bit more about how you co-plan because I'm still like literally trying to visualize your all's classroom. This like open doors, 60 kids is the coolest thing I've heard in a long time. And hopefully when COVID 
is not um, making it difficult for us to move around, I can make it to Australia and see this in action because I'm so curious. You definitely should come and see, but I'll send photos in the meantime. (laughs) Absolutely. It is very much so on my aspire to do to-do list uh, to make it to your all's classroom. But I would love to hear too, I mean, you're in this open space, it sounds like with more kids, but you two are collaborating a ton. Can you just talk about what it's like to to kind of plan with each other? Because I know there's a lot of educators across the country and across the world right now that are part of departments and departments are taking this on or groups of educators are taking it on. And it sounds like you all have mastered that flow. So can you just talk a little bit about sort of how you break up work and how you collaborate in the planning side and then in the classroom experience? Well, I think um, the planning like Louise said, uh, initially I did um, the units, created all of the units, and then she created a unit. I don't. I think probably we've got three new teachers coming um, to join us next year, so we're we're going to have to sit down and work out how we're going to do that. But I, I was starting to think about, you know, maybe it's an opportunity for teachers to create units that play to their strengths and play to their passions and then the kids get to choose which units you know they're more interested in so that you know if they're looking at us as their teacher um you know it doesn't matter who it is that's their teacher then you know can can we not give them you know some choice around interest as long as they're learning the the concepts you know i mean english we're lucky because we don't really have topics that we have to cover. There's just the concepts, the skills and the knowledge that we need to cover. You can cover it in a million different ways. And we, well, I think what we worked out when we were planning together this year was that we have different strengths and, and that makes what we create better because we're both bringing different things to the table, which, which creates a better product, I guess, for the kids in the end. But how we're actually going to make that work next year is, you know, something that we're working out now. and. Yeah, I guess ask us next year how we went with that. But um, in terms of planning like at a more micro level, um, it's actually really lovely because we, we come to work and we, we have a conversation about how the day is going to go. Um, and that is actually around a conversation about what the students are going to be doing. Um, I realised this the other day that we, we don't really – Again, we don't really talk about what we're doing. We're talking, we, we talk about what the kids are doing. And we, we have conversations about individual kids that need to, we need to have a chat to or we need to, to catch up with. And that is the really rich planning that we're doing just before we go into class because you don't have to think about content you don't, or curriculum at all. You know, that's, you just released that out of your head because you've already done all that work, that's finished. So when, when we're going towards the classroom, we're thinking about the kids and then when we're in the classroom together, we are just having conversations in which we're deciding, is is this working? Should we do this? Should we do this next? How How is, you know, how are we dealing with interruptions or responding to whatever's going on with the kids? And it's just a lot of conversations, I guess, between us. And conversations um, mid-class as well. Yeah. I love that part of it, the, the mid-class discussion. You know, it always felt like previously you just couldn't talk to adults or even kids mid-class and somehow it was disruptive. But you can just, in the middle of class, collaborate, right, and just make a pivot. Yeah, it's absolute. It's my favorite thing, actually, about the whole thing is that that you actually get to do your work with someone else. And your work is in the classroom, but, you know, always the class door was closed or you're stuck in this box that you can't, 
you know, no one else is allowed to come into because they're all timetabled somewhere else. And, you know, being able to to actually do our work together with the kids, yeah, it's really, it's that's what made this year really, really fun. Super cool. It's super cool. Now, I got to ask, what's next? I mean, as you all assess where you're at now with the model, you've clearly got it up and ground, off the ground and running. Your kids sound to be loving it. You sound to love it. Like you are clearly enjoying the experience and you're growing from it. So what are the areas that you need to improve about it? What are aspects of it um, that you continue want to strengthen? And even it might not be specific to the model. We always like to think that the model is sort of an incubator of innovation. Like it sort of breaks down all these traditional barriers and then suddenly it unleashes all these other new ideas. So I'd love to hear from both of you, like what's what's next in your sort of journey of innovation, both with the model and outside of the model? Um, well, for me personally, I really want to have a lot more creativity in the classroom. Um, so I like the idea of um, making time for students to do hands-on creative maybe even mindful sort of things that are related to the topic that they're doing. So we created these um, creative workshops that if, for like, um, for example, if a student, um, if there's some students who are maybe not ready to maybe work through the blended learning at that particular point, there are these other creative things that they can go away and do like hands-on, you know, with paper or with paint or something that's related to what they're doing, but then it gives them maybe even like a bit of a brain break um, and just creating those different zones, I guess, like in and around the classroom where kids can move around depending on where they personally are that lesson. Um, so that's that's my idea. I love it. I love it. Um, I am starting to think a little bit about the well, two things. I mean, one is how you lead this. You know, it's my role to to lead a department. And so there's a lot of really interesting questions for me around um, working with teachers moving through this journey, you know, how much you can actually ask someone to do um, to change the way that they teach. You know, we, we, we work with another teacher who takes one of the English classes and, and we just basically said to her, hey, this is what we're doing, so, you know, you can just do this as well. And she had a really interesting journey through that because because we didn't really give her a choice, I guess, about what um, that she was going to do this. So, you know, I've got lots of those kind of level of questions around um, leading other teachers. But I'm also thinking about how this model supports the social and emotional learning of students by really pushing them to develop their own resilience, their own ability to solve problems and and how we can kind of leverage the model to assist students, you know, just even in the language we use to talk to them about persisting with difficult tasks and, um, you know, understanding that, that learning is not always comfortable or easy and that you know, we often fail when we learn and that that's completely fine and actually necessary. So starting to think about how we can sort of build that into, I guess, the, the structures and the, the um, routines and the, you know, things that we're doing in the classroom. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. First of all, the lead part, we are, of course, happy to chat at length about that with you um, at the Modern Classrooms Project, because, you know, that was the fundamental challenge for my co-founder and I was two educators in a school building implementing this model, but what's next, right? Like, how do we get this in more teachers' hands? Do they want it? And how do you do that in a way that is exciting for educators and doesn't feel like 
another new initiative that they have to do. So I'm excited to chat with you about that. And, and frankly, that could be its own podcast episode on its own right there. And that idea of executive functioning and trauma-informed teaching and resilience and all those fundamental ideas of, you know, how do you build some of those softer skills and also support the kids who need the most support, I think is a huge one. We actually have a webinar coming up on December 10th. Um, I have no idea what the time will be where you all are at, but we'll record it so you can check it out. But our head of teaching and learning is going to dig in a little bit about that. Um, she's been doing a lot of research on trauma-informed practices, uh, building executive functioning, uh, you know, working on working memory. Um, and we'd love to collaborate with you all on that because I think there's a lot there. And, and we know the model supports educators in doing that, but I'm not sure we've codified it yet. And I think it's it's worth sort of codifying it and thinking about what are the specific strategies this model allows you to do. So I think those are all exciting. Um, there's so much more that will probably come of this. I can share myself that when I started implementing the model, it was like the innovation just kept coming. Um, and that's what we keep hearing from our educators. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. First of all, thank you so incredibly much for joining us. I found this conversation to be fascinating. I think both of y'all's perspective on the model is incredibly interesting. The drivers for why you did it, how you're implementing it, the journey you took, all incredibly interesting stuff. I know you all have a podcast of your own. Um, do you all want to share with our listeners like how they can learn more about your experience? What are the ways they may be able to reach you or just hear about the work that you all are doing? Yeah, we were actually inspired by your podcast. I think, um, well, actually, I, I started, I discovered your podcast before Jen did. And I told her quite a few times, like, you've got to listen to this podcast. I'm just, it's amazing. I just, I, I walk my dog while and listen to this podcast. And probably every 30 seconds, you say something I just agree with so strongly. So I'm just walking around going like, yeah, I really agree with that. Um, <laughs> and so I said to Jen, you have to listen to this podcast. And I think it was right after you listened to the first episode, you came to work the next day and said, we need to create our own podcast. Um, so we have created this podcast. Um, it's, so we're called Innovating Classrooms Conversations with Educators. So you can find us, we have a website, you can find us on innovatingclassrooms.org. Um, and you can also find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts if you just search Innovating Classrooms. Perfect. Fantastic. And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well for the listeners so they can access it. This is fantastic. Jen and Luis, thank you so much for joining us. I can promise you this will not be the last conversation we have. I'm so excited to hear more about your journey. Um, I want to hear more about how it develops, the areas where you're succeeding, the areas where it's challenging. And it is officially on the top of my aspire to do to-do list to make my way to your school building, to actually meet you all in person and see your kids learning in action. I'm so, so excited for it. Well, that would absolutely be so amazing. <laughs> we will make it happen. Well, thank you so much for joining us, both of you. It's been wonderful. Um, I know it's early in the morning there. It's late at night over here. So have a wonderful rest of your day. And to all of our listeners, you can always follow our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. Uh, you can access our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. Follow our social media pages at Modern Class Proj. Um, I think that covers it. Luis and Jen, thank you for joining us and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, Kareem. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another week of the Modern Classrooms podcast. I'm Kate Gaskell, head of teaching and learning, and I love when I get to lift up the most important voices of the Modern Classrooms project, you, the teacher. This week, Katie Woodrick, an educator we got to work with over the summer, sent us some love. My name is Katie Woodrick, and I teach eighth grade English language arts in Boise, Idaho. 
Um, the Modern Classrooms Project uh, professional development has really inspired me uh, in my planning of structured, meaningful, standards-based uh, activities in my classroom. What I love and appreciate about the Modern Classroom self-paced approach um, is that all of my students have access to mastery of the standards, even though the pace and the road by which they get there um, to that mastery might be different for each of them. Kids don't have the opportunity to hide in the shadows of my classroom any longer. And in so many ways, they are empowered to do their best because of that. Um, I so appreciate all the ways uh, I can access the professional development for modern classrooms from the website to their podcast to the amazing discussions happening in the Facebook group. Um, in working with modern classrooms, I feel supported and I feel a part of something very meaningful uh, in education. If you'd like to share your experiences with the Modern Classrooms professional development, reach out on Twitter at Modern Classrooms Proj or in our Facebook discussion group. Teachers, thank you for everything you do. We're here for you.